Behind the Bite podcast is part of a network of podcasts that are good for the world. Check out podcasts like the Full of Shit podcast, After the First Marriage podcast, and Eating Recovery Academy over at practiceofthepractice.com backslash network. Welcome to Behind the Bite podcast. This podcast is about the real life struggles women face with food, body image, and weight. We're here to help heal, inspire, and create better, healthier lives. Welcome. Well, hello, everyone. You know, for anyone who has listened to past podcasts of mine, you may have heard me say that the purpose of food simply is just fuel and nutrition. So just like cars cannot drive anywhere without gas, we cannot function or stay alive without food. But I know it has become so much more than that. So, so much more. And I know I get it firsthand just how much more food means when you have an eating disorder, disordered eating, or struggle with body image. And I really wish food just remained simple for everyone. But it really just did just get so complicated, confusing, and it's really emotionally laden. So today, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about food and your wonderful, amazing bodies. And hopefully by the end of the podcast, you're going to feel like things are a little bit more simplified and hopefully less confusing. So who is the we that will be discussing this? Well, me and someone who really knows all there is to know about food. Adrian Paxosa has more than 20 years of experience working in the dietetic field with a focus on eating disorders, neurochemistry, nutrition, and business development. In 2007, Paxosa founded and opened her first private practice in Austin, Texas called I Live Well Nutrition. She combined evidence-based nutrition science with a compassionate approach to counseling patients to deliver health outcomes and improve patients' day-to-day lives. She has personally counseled hundreds of patients ranging from severe eating disorder cases to diabetics to high-performance athletes. A few years later, I Live Well Nutrition has become Nourish, a nationwide virtual first nutrition group focused on addressing America's healthcare crisis through greater access to nutrition care. She now serves as Chief Clinical Officer of Nourish, and what started out as just an idea now serves thousands of patients, nearly all of whom use the service via telehealth and are completely covered by their health insurance. All right. Well, Adrienne, welcome to the show. Very, very happy you're here. Oh, I am so excited to be here and talk to y'all. Okay, so let's talk about how food impacts the brain, brain chemistry, mood. I mean, let's just get into this. I I know people may not think it has such an impact, but I'm fascinated to hear what you have to say about things. Oh, it's it's everything. Um, Food affects every little molecule of your body. And of course, one of those molecules is part of your brain. Uh, And I think when we think about it of like, oh yes, the food affects your heart and your internal organs and all that. We we know that as like a deep seated part of it. But when we think about our emotions and our brain chemistry, we kind of forget that part uh, because it works or hopefully our brain is working. Um, but I think that's 
sometimes that kind of missed part of like how it all really worked together. Um, Oh goodness, where to even begin? I think we'll kind of go, my favorite part is to talk about how food affects emotions. So when we think about um, happy, sad, all of those emotions, they all start in nutrition land. So if we think about it, happiness, serotonin, about 60 to almost 80% of your serotonin is made in your gut, your GI system. And as we're kind of using food, digesting food, it's creating that serotonin. And so if we're not getting enough nutrition in, there's absolutely no way that we could really get that serotonin functioning. Also, fun fact, about about, uh, about 60 to 80% of your immune system comes from your gut too. So we could have a whole other talk about gut health. Um, but as far as serotonin, that's a huge piece of it. And then if we look at the way all of these um, neurochemicals, so serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine, GABA, all of these, they sound like really big, crazy words, uh, but they're just kind of how our brain processes uh, emotions or their chemical forms of them. They all travel through fat. So um, our nerve system uh, kind of looks like a wire. So the wire of my headphones is wrapped in plastic. So just like our neurons, they're wrapped in fat. It's called a myelin sheath. And so if we don't have enough of that protective um, fat around our neurons, our synapses are the way our brain talks to each other. It doesn't work as efficiently. And so we're not able to have cognitive reasoning as well. Our emotions could be all cattywampus and upside down. Um, and then, I mean, I'll keep rambling. So please stop me if you need to. <laughs> so like, let's go back for a minute because some yeah. people might be listening saying, okay, you said a lot of things there about yeah. serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine, GABA, like Could we kind of go through what all of those are? Because, you know, I I know listening, you know, what serotonin, how that's different from dopamine or even what those are, but what what are those? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, for your listeners, yeah, this is super sciencey and I don't expect you guys to have to like know it all at the top of your head. And actually, if you guys want, I do have a handout for all of this and we kind of broke it down into like, mood issues like depression, what's going on with dopamine and serotonin and GABA and what should you do in nutrition land and same with like anxiety and ADHD and memory loss. So um, we'll, I'll share that link with you guys so that you can get that download. It's a fun little handout that we put together. Um, but so dopamine and norepinephrine are kind of that beginning parts of our emotional brain. And so it helps us to have those really high highs um, and emotions and go down and I guess kind of have that regulation of uh, happiness and joy and pleasure. Same with serotonin, gamma, uh, gamma, gamma aminobutyric acid uh, kind of lets us chill out. Um, And so we want to kind of think of those. Those are the big ones. Um, Oxytocin is love. So these are how our our body produces some of these um, emotions. They come out in these chemical reactions and then your brain does some magic and that's how they come out in other emotions. Um, But they all start as chemicals and those chemicals come from food. Does that help? I'm not sure if I explained that really well. So for instance, when you were talking about, say, norepinephrine and dopamine, um, how would somebody lack, say, 
if they're lacking in dopamine and so they're not feeling as much like pleasure uh, what what would they be lacking in terms of food and nutrition? Yeah, that's a great question. So if we have a low in dopamine, um, this sometimes presents in depression and uh, ADHD, we would actually want to get more carbohydrates. And I just am so excited because poor carbohydrates, they get the bums uh, rush as far as like popularity. And a lot of people are really scared of carbohydrates. Um, but when we have those lows and we're not having this, uh, that depression, uh, we really want to get our brain working and carbohydrates speed up that brain may help us to be pulled out of that depression, not complete 180, but it might help. And so we want to be getting more carbohydrates in to really help speed up that brain to help us really work. Also, we want to kind of get in some good fats and dairy and and for vegetarians we want to get in some beans and nuts and leafy greens and if you do eat eggs some egg yolks um for fermented foods would be magical and as i say all this when you air in that depression funk it's one of those really hard things of like i'm going to have some kimchi and salmon and have that over a bed of quinoa like that seems absolutely impossible when you are in that depression mindset or if we're really struggling to make peace with food. And so that's what it's really nice when we get to work with patients to like, okay, what feels actually doable when we are needing some carbohydrates in and we're uh, scared of them, we don't like them, where do we even begin? So that's the fun parts that we get to do when we work with patients. So I can imagine people listening kind of thinking, no, I'm on this regimen or I'm trying to scare me. You know, I hear that a lot from people. Um, and, you know, I try to talk to my patients and say like, you know, you need carbohydrates for your brain to function for you to think. And um, so what do you say to people? I'm sure you must hear it with your profession and people you're working with. People are so afraid of carbohydrates. Do you, like, why is oh, that? Yeah. What do you hear? Oh, they're from everything that carbs are just the meanest things in the whole entire world. They cause your body to change all of these different things. And it's sadly part of the diet culture mindset and kind of the world we live in that every food has gotten demonized at one point and it's carbs turn to get demonized right now. Um, and if we look back at like, what is the carbohydrates function? And it truly is your brain's number one fuel source. And it is your body's number one fuel source. And so if we kind of understand, well, well, why in the world do I need carbohydrates? Do I actually need them? And the answer is, um, heck, a million and 10%. Yes, you need them. We store carbohydrates in our muscles and in our liver as glucose, as glycogen. And so when somebody says, oh, I'm not going to eat carbohydrates, blah, blah, blah. It's actually our body will go into its muscle uh, to find carbohydrates. They're like, oh my gosh, we're not eating them. Let's go to the storage tank. They have to be there. And if there isn't any there, our body will start to eat the muscle to make carbohydrates. That's where that whole stupid ketosis uh, idea came from. Um, it's not okay to eat our muscles. The body will not go after other tissues in the body. It goes after the storage tanks. Um, and so the easiest storage tank uh, that has the best blood flow is your heart, unfortunately. And so this causes a lot of heart issues and people are struggling with eating disorders. 
Okay. So you brought up a, a big term. Some people might be going, wait. So, you know, I've heard people kind of debate with me saying, no, the keto diet works. It's the only thing that quote unquote has helped me get, reach my goals, whatever. There's all this science behind it that says it's the best thing for your body. And, you know, it's scientifically proven to help you be healthier and do great things for your body. And, you know, you just demonized it um but could you talk a little bit more about what happens to the body in that state because I, I know it to be a toxic state for the body but yeah oh ketosis it's so interesting when you anything can be proven in science uh just because it's been proven in a research article please do not take it as fact um <laughs> uh i think that's the, uh, a rule of them and um, in like true evidence-based research it takes about 15 years for something to be proven over and over and over again for it to be like law <laughs> um and so um i always get questions when people are like well i feel better cool what does feel better mean to you um, and so having somebody really explain that, um, and then also like, okay, cool. You've had like clarity in your mind and all that. Well, yeah, when you go into ketosis, your body is like, well, this is awful. Let me just give you some dopamine. So you don't notice that I'm eating myself. Um, and so it releases this dopamine. So it mimics, uh, that you're high, um, dope dopamine. Um, and so we kind of, feel euphoric, feel better. Um, and it's not sustainable. So a lot of times if we aren't getting enough carbohydrates, it can only last so long. Um, in the keto diet, uh, people will want them to uh, urinate on ketosis strips to see if you've hit ketosis. This is very, very dangerous um, for blood sugar controls, for hormone regulations. So this is not a good thing. It's awful. Um, lots of issues can occur with your heart, with muscle integrity. You can get sprains and strains easier. Um, it's just the worst idea ever. So if in a state of ketosis, when there's like, I guess, ketones kind of mm -hmm. floating around, what <laughs> what actually does happen to the body? It's yeah, it's starting, we're starting to eat our muscle. So it'll go after the muscle first. Um, so we're going into our muscle and it will take the muscle, uh, the protein molecules and convert, and I'm using air quotes, convert them into carbohydrates. Um, and there's a chemical process for that in the body. The body knows how to do that to survive. And it makes carbohydrates uh, for the brain to stay alive. It is not sustainable. It is like emergency only usage. We, uh, our body knows how to stay alive in starvation, but it's not, so it's surviving. It's not a sustainable life. So if someone continues down that path and does not stop, like ultimately what happens? Yeah, so we decrease our muscle integrity, which is, it, everyone's like, okay, cool beans, what, so what? Um, I've, I still hit my goal, so what? Um, my gravitational pull on the earth is different, so what? So what that actually does long term is it adds to weight cycling big time. It adds to uh, possible cardiac issues long time. It adds uh, it adds to the possible inability for you to breathe. Our muscles uh, that help to contract and breathe are uh, affected. So every major muscle, your GI system, uh, your gastrointestinal system, so your mouth all the way out, is really affected. So how your body digests 
food is a muscle. So we're not able to digest food. So let's say that you decide to get off the keto diet and you're like, woohoo, carbohydrates, I'm finally going to eat them again. Our body doesn't digest them as well because we've lost muscle integrity. And so people will feel bloated. They will feel constipated. Well, yeah, you've lost muscle in your gut. You've lost muscle in your whole entire body. So it's going to take a while to heal. Okay. So, you know, I I hear that from people like, oh, I feel so bloated. I just want to go back to this. Like that was working. Um, And so to your point, the weight cycling, like, can we talk about that for a minute? Because I've heard, um, you know, and I'm not in your field, right? So I don't want to overstep my bounds, but I've heard that that is actually much worse for the body than anything. This up and down with the weight. So can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. So um, there's been studies, multiple studies, not just one study, multiple studies that show that when somebody is changing their body, losing, gaining, losing, gaining, yo-yo dieting years and years and years, uh, what that is showing is that it's causing so much damage to the body long-term. So people are having chronic conditions um, longer and it's putting people more at risk for um, a shorter life expectancy. So those that have gone through weight cycling are at higher risk for mortality, heart uh, heart attacks, um, oh goodness, mental health issues, so many other things. Um, and there's actually out of the study, um, they're showing that, you know, when somebody has this weight cycling over and over and over, um, that is a higher indication for early onset of like heart attacks at a younger age, all of these other things. So being one that just ditches the diet, stops trying to focus on that silly little number on the scale and really starts to listen to their body and nourish it, uh, we can actually really reverse a lot of that damage. Okay. So I love that you said that, right? Instead of focusing on a certain number, right? Instead of focusing on a size, really focusing on, you know, keeping the body nourished, right? So Mm -hmm. I think that gets lost. It's not, it's not popular. It's not sexy. Uh, It's not what Instagram picks up. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So no, that's a hard thing for people to really wrap their brain around. Right. Because there's this, like you said, in diet culture, there's this external idea, right? What people look healthy, quote unquote, I'm putting that in quotes, what healthy people look like Mm -hmm. versus I think a lot of times people quote unquote, look healthy and they are so the opposite. Yes. Oh, a hundred percent. And I always encourage uh, our patients to really think of like health personal. How do you define health? Because how I define it for me is going to be way different than you. And so that's one of our beginning conversations we have with our patients is how do you define health without a number, um, without using weight, without using any other numbers? How do you define that for you? And that's what we're going to work towards. So, I mean, if you turn the body inside out, right, and didn't mm-hmm. look at like the external, right, how would you help somebody who's coming to you saying like, I'm lethargic, uh, my moods are all over the place, like, but I'm eating quote unquote, so healthy, right? Um like, what am I doing wrong? Yeah. Oh, I would ask, you know, how's your sleep? How's your stress? How's your water intake? Um, 
how's your energy level? Like just because you're eating quote unquote healthy, like that's a like 25% of the puzzle. Um, like it's also, how do you feel in this human suit? Um, and so are you actually getting enough sleep? How is your stress level? Stress is insane. How's your mental health? Um, all of those things play a big piece into it. So I think if uh, we've been taught in society to only judge nutrition land, but we got to look at all the other puzzle pieces. And, and to that point too, you know, there's so much emphasis on what I'll read one article and it demonizes certain categories of food or even certain foods and I'll read something else. And it's so the opposite. And, you know, I've been around long enough that, you know, back back in the eighties carbs were king and everyone loved yeah. them. And, you know, it, it's, it goes through cycles. Right. So, um, you know, I'm of the mind that eat, eat what you want that feels good for you, that you enjoy. And, you mm-hmm. know, all these labels of what I think is when I hear people say, Oh, good foods, healthy foods, really what they're talking about are diet foods that they're not, a, they feel like if I eat these, I won't wait. And when they're talking about bad foods, unhealthy foods, I really find most people, say, Oh, I feel bad. I feel guilty if I eat these. I really like these foods. These are the foods I really enjoy, but I'm so afraid I'm going to gain weight if I eat these things that they're no nos. And, um, I don't know what, what do you hear? Yeah. Oh, I hear We hear the same thing. And so I always tell people there's no such thing as good, bad, right, wrong in, in nutrition land. And so if certain foods feel really good in your body, rock stars, that's, then that is what you need to be eating. And if it doesn't feel good in the sense that it causes diarrhea as soon as you eat something, like let's maybe we don't eat that because uh, your body does not enjoy that. Or uh, maybe you have an allergic reaction and anaphylactic shock. Like, please do not eat that. Um, like that would be something that would not be good. But if it's when it, I always tell people when food gets stuck to an emotion, like, guilt or shame or blame, that's disordered eating, just eating disorder. And that's kind of that roller coaster. And so the dietitian's job is to slowly separate and like, let's talk about food. Let's understand the reason, the why, the science behind it. And then you and your therapist, you guys figure out the emotion. I don't, I don't know what to do with happy, sad, mad. I know how to make it, but how that affects you, that's for you guys to figure out. So food shouldn't cause an emotion in the sense of guilt or shame, I can help you to emphasize some of those serotonin and dopamine, but guilt and shame, those are, that's a therapy land. You know, something you just said brought to mind, um, you know, for people listening, maybe who are just tuning in, you know, I, I do this because I had my own eating disorder. And I, I often say that one of the biggest, um, things that helped me get to recovery was meeting with somebody much like yourself. And I had all these fear foods. And really what I realized was my whole, my whole way of choosing foods to eat was based on, again, those categories of good food, bad food. And, you know, however, I thought they were going to impact how I looked on the outside versus I didn't really take any time to think about what I was actually eating, what was doing for my body or not for my body. Um, But it was very helpful to sit with a dietitian and have them explain, oh, when you eat pizza, say, you know, all the different parts of the pizza and what it actually does for the body and where it goes and how it helps and what it prevents. And um, 
I don't think people think about that. I think they're just so focused on like, what's this going to do to the scale or my size or. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. And I even asked like, do you like it? Um, and people are like, oh, well, I don't eat cheeseburgers. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, do you like them? They're like, oh my God. Yeah. I love them. I'm like, well, then why are we eating a cheeseburger? They're delicious. Or, um, kind of the other side is like, well, did you even just taste that? Like, do you know what those, that tastes like? They're like, I don't know. I, I just, I went right through it when I was in a different phase and I was like, okay, well let's, let's taste it and see if you really, really like it. Um, and so I think that's another experiment is we're really in that mental space of good, bad, right, wrong, or we're in a rush situation. Like I encourage everybody just to like be curious and like, do you like it? And that's, that's where we like to start is just be curious. I'd like to go back to even that, right? I hear that too. Oh, I love the hamburgers and French fries. I haven't had them in years. Why? Yeah. <laughs> right? So if we could just even start with a cheeseburger. Like, what does eating a cheeseburger, how do, what does that do in your body? Like, what, what does it provide for a body once it's eaten? It's amazing. There's so many good parts. There's carbohydrates, there's protein, there's fat. Like, it's complete. It's awesome. And it's, it's also one of the things as it's just a cheeseburger. It is not the end of the world. If everything is working on the inside, like your body is so amazing and knows how to do this. It knows how to digest it. We are digesting food right now. And I didn't have to tell that. I didn't have to tell like this part of my body to like, like secrete this enzyme to digest this and all that. Everything's working and it knows what to do. So that's the other piece of the puzzle is we got to trust our body where most people can do really cool things digesting food. And so I think that's a, a whole other conversation that I encourage patients to have with their therapist is like, how do we start to trust our body and, and food? Right. So, yeah, like, is that part of what you do though, too, is help people kind of get over maybe ideas about certain foods that are part of diet culture? Oh, a hundred percent. So I'm always curious of like, oh, cool. Well, where did we learn that this food is a bad food or like, oh, you shouldn't eat that. And I think it's one of those, it's just a curious of like, I'm just curious where that thought came from or that belief. And so like, okay, well, if they're open to it, like, let's understand the science behind it. Like, why do we need a carbohydrate? Why do we need protein? Why do we need fat? Mm-hmm. Awesome. And so if we sometimes can understand the whys, Maybe we can try it. Maybe not. Maybe we're not there yet. But it's slowly starting to make some peace with food. Maybe if somebody's never had a hamburger in five years, we wouldn't jump straight to hamburger. We might start slowly. And that would be another source of trauma. We don't want to do that. But but we'd start someplace slowly and understand, okay, well, if it's a no way, I'm never eating that. I haven't done that in five years. I'm like, okay, well, what's something that would be not terrifying, but like, it's a little nerve wracking. And we would slowly start there and slowly like, okay, we had um, whole wheat bread. Okay, cool. Did anything happen? Did you catch on fire? No? Cool. Your body knows how to do this. It's gotcha. It's gotcha. So we slowly start to like, test it out and make sure that we're okay. So, I mean, and I think that that's great, you know, but I, I'm wondering too, I've heard much more about you know, the impact of social media, all these quote unquote experts that are on there promoting like what do they eat in a day and like promoting all their plans. And they kind of scare me because obviously you are licensed and you've been doing this a long time. You actually, what you're talking about, 
Um, but I think most people are listening to people out there in the universe who are touting all these things and giving a lot of misinformation um, or people coming in with these ideas that are inaccurate. Yes. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, is hard. It really is because they might have a louder voice. They might have a prettier Instagram. Um, dietitians, we're not that great at Instagram. Um, some of them are, some dietitians are really great. And so I think it's, um, unfortunate that, um, influencers have a larger voice in nutrition land. Um, I hope to have a bigger voice someday and I hope to, but I think that's, I encourage all listeners to find a weight inclusive, uh, uh, health at every size dietitian. And just like in any professions, there's dietitians that have training in disordered eating disorders. And then there's some that don't. And so I encourage people to really do your due diligence and try to really listen to people that have that background in it. So, Let's say there's somebody out there who's promoting like, oh, you can eat all this. And then they're, well, what are the telltale signs? I mean, I have some ideas about there, but what would be some telltale signs of somebody listening going, oh, maybe that's not somebody who's well-versed in this that yeah. should have some caution following or listening to? I would say they start to cut out things. Like um, if they're starting to demonize, oh, well, don't eat X, Y, and Z or eat this, don't eat that. And um, if they're starting to put certain foods on a pedestal, oh, you'll only be healthy if you eat blah, blah, blahs. Um, And so that would be my first warning sign of like, that might not be a good person to watch. Or if the portions look like what a toddler should eat. Um, So I think that's the other crazy thing is some of these portions are just ridiculous um also um find things that follow your lifestyle so if you i'm just speaking from my personal experience if you are a mom with little humans there is absolutely no way i can make all these beautiful things that i see on instagram i'm like yeah right so i think also following people that are part of your life in reality like Instagram is made to look beautiful and some of the food images are beautiful, but not real life. Right. And, you know, something I, I also see is a lot of people showing off their bodies and, oh, yes. and I always find that very interesting because the, again, the focus is almost like this. Oh, if you eat like me, if you hire me, then, mm-hmm. you know, I eat like this, I'll look like this. But again, everybody is different. So even if you eat the same exact thing and do exactly what they say and do their body's different than yours. So the promise almost of, Oh, you're going to look like me. Yeah. If you, if you do this and yeah, that's always so interesting to me. It's like, no, that's, that's awful. Yeah. They, uh, no. Yeah. I, I always, I always think it's funny. Um, I'm very short. And so it's always, I always use height as something like, oh yeah, if I eat, maybe I'll be five, one, five, two. And I'm like, that, it sounds absolutely silly to say out loud. It's like, oh, if I, if I eat more marshmallows, maybe I'll grow two more inches in height. And I'm just like, that seems crazy. And so why would it ever be the same in eating something else and to change your body? And every human is so different from genetic, from lived experiences. So no, 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 no. (laughs) So, and I I don't like to bring up 
what I'm going to say next, because I think it can be triggering, but I know it is out there very prevalent. It's, it's the norm because I'm hearing it from patients and people out there. Um, there's this unfortunate thing where people are saying you only eat 1200 calories a day. That's like the norm. And, you know, I've talked about this on previous podcasts of the past. It's been a while, but that scares me. And I think people think that that's normal. So when I say that, it's not that, what are you talking about? (laughs) Oh, that, uh, for a grown adult, no, just like, no, no, no. Like that's the, yeah. Uh, uh, I, yeah, that would barely keep like your brain alive. So if we look at it from like, I love your uh, analogy of like turn the body inside out, each organ requires a certain amount of fuel, aka calories to survive. So each kidney requires so many hundreds of calories. Each lung requires so much. Each, uh, and this is just for you to lay like broccoli and do nothing. And so that is, 1200 calories is not even enough to keep your internal organs alive, let alone enough fuel for you to brush your teeth, wash your face, talk on the phone. Like, so 1200 is not enough for sustainable life as a human to lay and do nothing. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I was like in the hospital and somebody was on a ventilator and, and we were breathing for them. The amount of nutrition that they would have just to stay lay and breathe and not move was insane amounts of nutrition. Um, And so, yeah, even people that are not moving need a ton of nutrition. Right. And it's interesting. A lot of the people who come and tell me this are also working out an enormous amount during not even just the week, during a day. And I'm like, what are you doing? How are they functioning? And the sad part is, um, if we flipped them inside out, I'm going to be using that all the time now. Thank you. Um, They would be just, the body's just chewing on their muscle, not on the fat tissue, not what on social media tells you. It's chewing on your muscle because your body goes for the easy thing to break down. Fat tissue, which we need, you have to have it. uh, And we all need a good amount. It's really hard to break down and because we need it, protein, uh, muscle is really easy to break down. So your body goes the easiest route first. Okay. So a lot of people listening might be like, wait a minute. I thought it went right. And if I decrease the amount I'm eating and I exercise more, I'm going to be burning off fat. And again, might be triggering for people with disordered eating or eating disorders. I know I was there, but I want to bring this up for a reason because I want to break some of the myths out there that maybe, you know, get you thinking like maybe what I'm doing is actually not what I'm thinking I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Oh, hundred percent. So I always present this idea to patients is if I had a plate of butter or I had, um, if you're a meat eater, a beautiful cooked steak, or if you're a vegetarian, like wonderful tempeh roasted or something, which would you choose first? A plate of butter? or protein, right? You'd be like, yeah, I'm going to eat the plate of protein. I don't want to eat a plate of butter. That's exactly what your body does. It's like, I'm going to do something that tastes good and is easy. I don't want to eat a a plate of butter. So it's it's the exact same thing that your body does. Yes, your body will, it runs off of a mixed energy source. Uh, It does that easily. And that's what it's supposed to, but 
It doesn't go like, "Mm, I'm just going to eat some fat right now. No, it doesn't do that. So, you know, and I know we're getting to time, but I know that the age old fear, right? Um, And I don't know if you get people in actually working with you on this, but once they have people in treatment with me, they're so scared to start treatment. Mm-hmm. They asked me the question of dog. I I'm fine having treatment, but I don't want to gain weight. As long as I don't gain weight, I'm fine. Like I can go through treatment or, you know, I've heard that if I start eating more, this is going to happen. Like how long is it going to be that, you know, <laughs> this whole process, like, you know, do you get people in that are working on this and are scared? Oh, yes. Everybody is. Everybody's terrified. And I think that it's normal. And it's it, all of it is scary because this eating disorder, disordered eating pattern, it's kept you safe from lots of different things. And that's what therapy does is help you to build in those other structures. But yeah, I get it. And so it's not one of those things that I, I can't say that if we start eating more your body's going to gain weight. I can't say that if we control, uh, not control, but get a handle on our binge cycle that we're going to lose weight. I have absolutely no idea what your body's going to do, but I do know that what you're doing right now is not okay. And so how long is it going to take? I have no idea. And it has a lot to do with how long we've been in this disordered pattern. It has a lot to do with kind of what your body wants to do. So I don't know is the hardest thing to kind of sit with, but that's the great part about having a care team is each person is there to walk next to you during that whole recovery journey. And again, I don't bring this up to try to keep perpetuating that all of this is about weight, but I'm bringing it up because I think that is the biggest hurdle to people Mm -hmm. going into treatment, seeking treatment and staying in treatment. Because ultimately my, my hope at least is that weight becomes a moot point and you get way past that. And, you know, if we could just kind of focus in on what treatment actually is for, is for Mm -hmm. this to not be something you're so focused on, right? Because that is the illness in and of itself. Is it so focused on the external being what's important to your point? Um, But I do think that that needs to be discussed. It's like, okay, is that really what's keeping you from seeking help and treatment? Because you're so afraid. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's a huge piece. And, and I think that's the other part is it's normal in that to be having a really conversation uh, for patients have that really big conversation and they're terrified and they don't want to get help because of that weight. And I get that. I get that. I wish I could have like a, a great answer for patients. Cause I, I know that that fear is there and I know that that's a big p- a piece and that's the hard part is nobody knows. There's not one provider that can tell you like, oh yeah, this is a hundred percent going to happen to your body because we just don't know. Right. But again, to your point, you know, I love that you said finding somebody who's, you know, weight inclusive, health at every size, really focusing on what the purpose of treatment it is to, you know, get healthy, not just look quote unquote a certain way, but yeah. really what is the focus is to treat illness and to nourish as you said nourish your body so it's functioning properly yeah yeah and that's hard in the beginning and I think that's that's why recovery and this whole journey is a hard journey is because it takes a while um um, and I always tell people like you might have been doing this for 20 30 years we're not gonna fix it in six months (laughs) 
And again, to that point too, people ask how long. <laughs> don't know. Yeah, don't know. But you, we got this. Like, I think that's the other piece is it's, it's a scary thing and um, you're going to want to quit and you're going to want to run away. And that's also normal. And it's, it's going to just, it's going to be a hard one. And acknowledging that I love that you're bringing all this up to the surface to discuss and not sugarcoating it. So yeah. thank you. <laughs> yeah. There's no sugarcoating in, in the journey of recovery. It's, it's, it is hard. And I think that's the other piece that I wish more and more providers would talk about is this thing, stuff is hard. And that's why a lot of people have to do this multiple times is maybe that we weren't ready in that moment, or maybe we hit a really big roadblock, maybe something in life triggered us. So recovery is not linear at all. But I I love that you're out there helping people. You're an expert in your field. You're well-versed in this. You get it. Um, Love that you like the team approach. Uh, If people do want to work with you, they want information. I know you have some great information out there. Um, Thank you for sharing the links. How can they find you? How can they work with you? Yeah. So if you head on over to usenourish.com, that's our website. Um, and all of our providers, uh, dietitians are weight inclusive trained. Um, some are more, uh, more eating disorder based. Others might be, uh, pediatric based. So that's kind of the easiest way to find us. And on all the socials, it's just to use nourish. Fantastic. Adrian, you've been such a pleasure. Thank you for all this great information. I really appreciate it. Thank you. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.